Hello everyone, welcome back to Season 3 of Titan Alumni Talks. I'm your host, Ahad Hassan, and for this week's episode, we are joined with Amy Largartisha, who received her Bachelor's in Sociology with a minor in Queer Studies, and she also received another Bachelor's in Liberal Studies in 2012 from Cal State Fullerton. She also received her Master's of Science in Education from 2014 from Cal State Fullerton, and she now works as a Title IX Discrimination, Harassment, and Retaliation Investigator at CSU Dominguez Hills. Join us today as we talk about her journey through education and why she got into the field that she is working in today. Be sure to watch our episodes live at titanradio.org at 6 p.m. on Saturdays. And if you miss it, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash alumni to watch all episodes. Um, so thank you, Amy, for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So to begin with, tell us a little bit about what you do as a Title IX investigator. Sure. Uh, so my current role is a Title IX in Discrimination, Harassment, and Retaliation. So that's DHR for short investigator at Cal State Dominguez Hills, not too far from Cal State Fullerton. And my responsibility is to handle all of our complaints. So that's student complaints and employee complaints of any type of sexual misconduct. So that includes dating domestic violence, stalking, um, sexual assault, sexual battery, harassment and retaliation on the basis of a protected class, such as race, gender, age, ethnicity, marital status, religion, and the list goes on. So that's my current role. Um, and so I'm responsible for responding what's on it. And then at the end of my investigation, writing up a report about my findings. But, so that's kind of my job in a nutshell. I see. So what led you to this career path? Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I can say that uh, there was a specific pipeline for me into this career path, but I think that most of my jobs previously have been about taking opportunities that were revealed to me. Um, and so if I look back to my time at Cal State Fullerton, um, some of the things that prepared me for this position were getting involved as a student leader, right? So I was involved in the Queer Studies Association and the Women and Gender Studies Association. Um, I also did some multicultural training. I studied abroad. I went to Washington, D.C. with the D.C. Scholars Program. There were so many opportunities for me to develop my leadership skills and my career readiness. And I think that was a really good foundation for me going into this type of work professionally, especially some of the work that I was doing with gender-based violence um, with, the, with the Women's Studies Program and the student organization. And so uh, I worked professionally for five or six years in student conduct, and that's a department and a university that deals with student policy violations. So you have your academic misconduct, such as plagiarism and cheating, and then non-academic misconduct, such as drug and alcohol use, things like that. Um, and so when I got the opportunity to work in Title IX, I was actually not looking uh, for a job at the time, but uh, a colleague contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested to, in coming over to CSU Dominguez Hills. And I'm so glad that I did. So, so really, I think it's a combination of my undergraduate experiences, um, getting my master's degree in a student affairs field, working in that field for a number of years, and then just really having the right connections and being part of the right networks that led me to this opportunity. So it seems like you take open opportunities with an open hand and you don't really push things away. And that's yeah. kind of like a, it's a good thing that a lot of students, I mean, a lot of students don't really see that anything that happens, maybe it's a small connection or maybe just talking to a professor, it could kind of lead to a bigger opportunity that comes later down the road. 
Yeah, you are exactly right. And I think that's why I kind of see the building blocks of this, that maybe it started with the connection that I had back at Cal State Fullerton, where someone encouraged me to be involved as a student leader. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have enough time or I'm taking a full load of classes. But saying yes to those opportunities, I think, really helped to build on the stepping stones for me to get to where I am now. And I'm, I'm so grateful for everything. I'm, I'm very happy with where I'm at now. So I owe a lot of um, credit to Cal State Fullerton for helping in that process. Mm -hmm. Like, like you said, even if you don't get a job or a position directly from those connections, it still shapes your personality just by seeing what those opportunities can bring. And it seemed like it did that same thing for you. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, when we're approaching graduation, we're a college student, um, the question that we get is, so what are you going to do after? What are you going to do with your degree? And it's such a critical moment. And I feel like there's so much pressure on college students to have a plan. It's not deviate from that plan. And so then we come up with this idea of what we want to do. We have a five-year plan and we have a goal for the salary that we want and what industry we want to be in and the kind of people that we want to work with. And maybe even we narrow that down to the region that we want to work in. Um, and that makes it hard to get a job sometimes, right? Uh, yeah. so I think there's, there's incredible value in, in saying yes to experiences that come up. And throughout my career, that's, that's what I've done to get where I am now. So for all the students who are out there listening, uh, I encourage you to, to look for those opportunities, right? To position yourself in places where you're going to meet people who might open doors for you. Um, and to not be scared to take those chances because uh, some of that is kind of unknown or it's risky, right? Like, you know, is this going to end up contributing to my career in the future? Is it going to mean that I'm making more money or I have more opportunities? But you're never going to know until you step your foot inside that door and you see what happens. So I, I definitely encourage that. Mm -hmm. As long as it's not a negative opportunity, then even if it's like a side lateral opportunity, there's a lot of benefit just being put in a new environment. Even let's say the salary was the same or even if the work was very similar, maybe it's just like a small location change or just meeting new people through the work. It makes a huge difference over time when Instead of just working at one place for many years, you're able to experience a broad diversity of people. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think even some of those experiences that turn out to be negative, that there's a learning lesson in that too. So there's uh, positions out there where there's not a lot of resources and you're asked to wear multiple hats, have multiple roles in the position. Um, and that in itself, even though it's, it's, it's tiring work, um, it's an experience, it's a growing experience. And so I think for me, that's really contributed to my professional development and my career. I see. And it also seems like you have a huge background working with underrepresented minorities mm -hmm. uh, ever since you were at Cal State Fullerton. So can you tell me a little bit about what stemmed from that or how you got into that position and how it's led to what you're doing right now? Sure. Um, so when I started attending Cal State Fullerton, um, I, I was in a position where I wasn't getting enough out of the college experience. Um, and so I was looking for something more meaningful. I needed a stronger connection to the campus community and I was having a hard time finding it. Um, I was a first generation college student and a transfer student. So I kind of took a non-traditional path to Cal State Fullerton. And when I got there, I had these big expectations for what being at a state university meant. Um, and I realized that some of that work I had to take on myself in terms of uh, making connections and getting involved in opportunities. And so I kind of did, um, it was almost like I was at Costco and I was sampling all the food, which is something we can't do during COVID times, but yeah. <laughs> um, I went to every student services unit and I just, I talked to them. I talked about the programs and the opportunities that they had and how I can get involved. Um, and I tried a lot of things on and I liked some things and I didn't like other things. Um, and I think what really got me into multicultural education and competence 
is um, I took a sociology class and I remember that I went to, it was the undergraduate advising center, I think. And I said, I need a class that's gonna change my life. Please just give me something that's really gonna challenge me and open my eyes. And it was a sociology class. And I think it was something like Afro-ethnic studies. Uh, and so I took that class and it really just opened the door for me in terms of learning more about diversity and inclusion. And it gave me something to be passionate about too, um, which helped me get that, that experience that I wanted, that meaningful experience in college. And so, I mean, at this point, this is over 10 years ago, but I got involved in the Embrace program, um, which was from the Multicultural Leadership Center. Um, and so I, I thought that that was an incredibly impactful experience. And from there, I just, I just started collecting as many involvement experiences as I can. And so then I went on to get involved in some of the student organizations that were identity-based organizations and um, do some advocacy work. And eventually that led me into my grad program for the master's in higher ed. Um, and what I loved about that program is that there was a strong em emphasis in social justice and advocacy. So that, that really has been a theme for me that's woven throughout my education, my career, and my professional interests. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to find that passion through Cal State Fullerton. Mm -hmm. And that kind of reminds me of a quote where it said that the sciences give you uh, the length to live longer, but the arts give you uh, the reason to live. Yeah. So I think it ties into that where you're finding something that maybe a lot of students feel that it may not be the best thing, but it is self-fulfilling and you feel like you're doing something um, proper or something impactful with your career right. and your life. Right. I mean, let's be real. We all need to get paid. We all deserve a fair salary. Yeah. <laughs> but being able to do something that you love um, and being able to have the life that you want is just, it's such a gift. Yeah, I agree with that. So you've been in college for quite a bit of time with you getting your double bachelor's and then also getting your master's. And as you mentioned before, uh, you were a transfer student from uh, Mount SAC. So because of that, why is it so important for you to stay in education for this long when most people, they might only spend four years or if they get done early, you might only spend three years in university. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am, I'm a big advocate for taking as much time as you need in university, um, especially if financial aid supports it, um, because I think that it's such a good place to be. There's so much to learn there. And even now I wish that I can go back and take classes that I would have never thought to take, like anthropology and economics and, and history classes, even though I hated them at the time. <laughs> um, so I, I'm really grateful that I got to spend as much time in college as I did. Um, by the time I graduated, it had been eight years in college, so I was ready to go into the working field. Um, but also that was just such an incredible foundation for me to grow and learn and be ready to go out into the working field. Um, and I, I think I really needed those extra two years to really dig my heels into some of the things that I was passionate about and to clarify my values um, and to kind of have a better direction of where I was headed. Um, but for me, uh, I chose to continue working in education. I chose a career in education because I wanted to give back to my community. Um, I, I received so much value from going to college um, and so many amazing connections and networks and resources that I would have never had access to and I wouldn't have even known to look for them if I didn't go to college. Um, and so I, I wanted to give back to the community in the same way that it gave back to me in terms of helping me find my passion educating me in cultural competency, diversity and inclusion, um, giving me a place that I felt a sense of belonging in, um, and just helping me create this wonderful network and story that I've been able to tell um, in my time working as a student affairs professional as an, and as an educational leader. Um, 
So yeah, I, I honestly couldn't imagine working in any other field. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like to say that a college education, you can get it online nowadays or even on YouTube. Right. But college is much more than just the education itself. There are the connections that you can build with not just the students, but professors and alumni. Exactly. Where it ties back to what we said in the beginning, where it kind of makes, it leads to those new opportunities and the, those new doors being opened that even if you don't find a job right after, it's still someone you can talk to years mm -hmm. later on about any issues you might have or problems or just advice that you would like to get from them. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I remember being a commuter student and living off campus and the only thing I did was go to classes, go to work, and then go home. That was my life. And my GPA wasn't that great. <laughs> and I wasn't really, I didn't have a lot of direction, wasn't sure where I was going. Um, but spending more time on campus and, and getting involved and nurturing those connections and those relationships was incredibly valuable to me. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And going back to the talk about community college, mm -hmm. uh, the whole idea that currently for fall, there's a lot of talk that we might be uh, taking online classes and a lot of people, at least for Cal State Fullerton, the tuition is much cheaper than other private universities. But now the education is sort of in the same ballpark where you're not getting that higher and it's just not worth it going to those expensive colleges. So for some people, I can see it being definitely worth it going to a community college first in the next two years and maybe getting all the GEs done. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, taking that, uh, wanting to take an anthropology or history class, it is a lot of fun just like jumping around in classes and doing something that's not necessarily for your major, but you just learn something out of it. So yeah, it is a fantastic thing being able to do that. And then community college lets you do it for so much cheaper. Mm -hmm. So it, it does help students get a good grasp of what they want to do without being too hard financially on a lot of people. Right, yeah. And I think sometimes um, new students will worry about the status and the stigma associated to going going to community college. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I heard it referred to as like, that's where the dropouts go, right? Yeah. And that's totally and completely false. I think you get to decide what type of experience you have at the community college. Um, the more time and energy you put into it, the more you're gonna get out of it. Um, and I, I've talked to other students who transferred from Mount Sac um, and the, the comment that we share is that it was really hard to get a good grade at Mount Sac. I worked really hard for the A's that I got. I mean, harder than I probably worked for many other classes. And so it, it was a challenging experience and it did really prepare me for the next level transferring to Cal State Fullerton. So yeah, I mean, if, if, if you want to do it the affordable way, I think community college is a fantastic option. I think that you can get such a quality education there. And there's actually research out there that says that transfer students have a higher graduation rate than um, first-time freshmen and traditional students. Um, so not all of the stuff you hear about going to community college is true. Um, and I think that it's a great option right now. I mean, if you can spend two years, save a lot of money, get all your general education taken care of, and then transfer into the college that you want to go to, maybe you weren't uh, you didn't meet the eligibility requirements when you initially applied, but as a transfer student, you might have a different, different opportunity there. So yeah, I think it's a fantastic option. And I give a big thumbs up to Mount Sac for such a great education, making me work so hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of things about Mount Sac being one of the more difficult community colleges out there. And it really like preparing students for uh, coming into a four-year four -year university. And it makes me realize that going to a community college gives you sort of a second chance at maybe getting to that college that you initially didn't get into or maybe just having a better outlook on where you want to go, what you want to do in life. So it kind of is a small reset button where you can mm -hmm. get your classes done and still move forward. It's not like you're going backwards at all because you're still completing your two years of university, but right. it, it lets you move forward in life with a little bit of a, 
advantage at that point. Mm -hmm. So right now we're going to talk about some quick fire questions sure. and we're going to ask you about your opinions. All right. All right. Controversial topics. Here we go. All right. So <laughs> the first one we're going to start with. So pancakes or waffles? Ooh. Why you got to do this to me? I can choose both, right? No, no. <laughs> I can't choose both. We have rules, rules here. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a structured gosh. podcast. You cannot choose both. <laughs> Well, I'm going to make a modification. I have a, I have dietary restrictions, so I'm going to go with the gluten-free pancakes that I have in my pantry right now. All right, so that's, you're the, I think you're the first one who chose pancakes, which I appreciate. Oh, I'm, really, I'm in a minority. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Denny's, I love the Denny's pancakes with the butter and the syrup. It's just so oh, good. That I can take pancakes. all day. So <laughs> yeah, add some strawberries on top, and there you go. Oh, your, your fruit with your pancakes? Yeah, I would, I'll take some strawberries on top of that, some honey, some cinna, cinnamon. Mm. Are right, you kind of lost me there? Have breakfast for dinner. Oh yeah. <laughs> Took yeah, a you lost me there. <laughs> I was good with pancakes and like all the fruits. And honey. <laughs> so, uh, what's your favorite sports team? I really don't know how to answer this question. I <clears throat> I don't own a TV. I actually recently got Wi-Fi. So welcome to the 21st century, Amy. Um, and I don't watch sports. I don't know. That is very controversial. Because if I said yeah, the LA Dodgers, I feel like I'd have to be really loyal to that team. You kind of have to because like everyone here is going to be a little. Yeah. Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> We're just going to be a little upset if you don't choose the Dodgers. Right. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I, I have an LA Dodgers hat from when I attended one game last year. So we're just going to go with that. That's my favorite. I love the LA Dodgers. Go Dodgers. That's a solid answer. We'll cut <laughs> it out and just make a sound bite of I love the LA Dodgers. <laughs> okay. All right. So getting back to Cal State Fullerton, uh, what are your thoughts on finishing 15, the idea where students should take 15 units each semester to get done in their four years of college? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a wonderful program um, if you're coming in with a plan um, and you know what you want to do with your major and you're not not really open to any type of major career exploration. So, you know, if, if that's your goal, um, that's an excellent goal to have. And, and I hope that you accomplish it. Accomplish it. Um, I think for me, that doesn't resonate as much because that wasn't part of my college experience. And I think that there's a lot of, a lot of pressure to finish college in that amount of time. Um, but a lot of research suggests that students finish college on an average in five or six years, and that's okay too. Um, so I think while there's a lot of um, excitement and, and passion and support around the finish in 15, um, that there's other options out there. And, and that, like I said, is more of my personal experience with college and what I would advocate for if you have the, the time and the resources to stay longer. Mm -hmm. I totally understand the idea of you should get it done as quick as possible so you can save as much money as you can. But right. there's also the idea that if once we graduate, we're going to work for the next 40, 45 years of our life until retirement. So why not just spend that extra couple of months or a year in that university and soaking in that experience before going on to the next chapter in your life? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like if you can afford it. I mean, for me, probably one of my regrets is taking out so many student loans in college. Um, but I try to rationalize it by saying it was really worth, worth it for me to go that extra two years and to get the graduate degree. And that, that put me on the path that I'm on now. So yeah, it's always, yeah, it's it's always a balance. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to rationalize getting out of the student loans with, oh, it's only 1500 <laughs> in, in, in two years, if I'm making like 70000 a year, I'll be able to pay it off equally. But they add up, they add right. up very quickly. Right, that was <laughs> the plan. But enroll in loan forgiveness programs, y'all. <laughs> Work for a public institution. 
this quarantine can only hope for it. I know, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> so talking about your field in general, uh, what advice would you give to students who maybe are in their third or fourth year uh, trying to get in that field? Maybe if you were able to talk to them directly, what's one thing you would tell them to do? Or yeah. like maybe even cutting down on the fear that they might have of, I might not get paid as much as I would like, or it's not a field where I can do forever and sustain a family or just keep going. Mm -hmm. um, so I think my first reaction is to email me. Email me if you want to work in Title IX and DHR, um, because I don't think that there is a pipeline that exists for students to start at the undergraduate level and move them up into positions that I'm in um, as an investigator. And so I think that it's kind of a, it feels like it's a small, um, department. It feels like it's a small unit of the university. Um, and when I get together with other Title IX officers or investigators at other CSUs, it, it very much does feel like it's a small community. Um, and so if you're interested, make connections. Um, email me. I can connect you to someone else. We can get you going with some type of like training or you can listen to a podcast or do some research. Um, the landscape of Title IX is changing a lot right now. In fact, today the Department of Education just released some new federal regulations on Title IX procedures and policies. Um, and so it's kind of an exciting time to be in my field. Um, it's going to require a lot of patience and adjustment, but I think that it's incredibly important work. And we need people who are passionate about doing this work. And so if you're interested in working in um, Title IX or discrimination, harassment, retaliation, uh, my advice is to uh, don't go to law school. <laughs> you don't have to go to law school to be in my field. You don't have to study political science or criminology. Um, and in fact, I think having a background in something like humanities and social sciences is a great starting point. Um, so if there's any folks in those colleges that are still trying to figure out a path and resonate with working in um, gender-based violence and diversity and inclusion, um, then Title IX might be a good option for you. Um, but that, and then I think uh, one of the strongest skills required to work in this field is report writing. So you need to have great writing skills. And I'm lucky that I sort of developed those skills accidentally by studying so many like human uh, social studies classes and, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of the word right now. Humanities classes. Sorry, I had a little brain fart. Um, but by studying so many of these classes, studying those classes, I, I really learned how to write strong reports, strong papers. I learned a lot about critical thinking, um, communication, interpersonal relationships, and those are all skills that I use all the time in my job. So I would say that those, those skills are pretty important. Um, and then I think one thing that kind of deters people from pursuing Title IX work is that they feel like it's emotionally heavy. Um, that it's it's really difficult work. And I would say that, that some people in our field um, do feel emotionally burdened by, um, by being exposed to people who have experienced traumatic situations um, and by um, being administrators who uh, help these people through a process that can sometimes be uh, difficult or challenging or scary. And, and that alone makes people not want to go into Title IX work. I find that it's very rewarding to sit down with someone and to take an authentic and transparent and empathetic approach to the process, um, which I think is something that um, parties involved in investigations don't always expect. And so I think that for me, I always try to have some sort of positive impact 
on, on the people involved in investigations, even for the folks who are accused of any type of misconduct, um, they still deserve their rights and they still deserve to be heard and they still deserve to go through our process in the same way that anyone else might. Um, and so if, if that is, someone out there is saying, yeah, this really appeals to me, I wanna help people, I wanna work with survivors, I wanna work in gender-based issues or diversity and inclusion, then there might be a place for them in Title IX. Mm -hmm. And this kind of reminds me of, uh, let's say, like Facebook content moderators who have to go through all of these um, things that are posted that might not align with Facebook's views. And initially, they might not see anything wrong with it, but over time, it could take, an, take a toll on their mental health. And it kind of reminds me of this. And I'm wondering if um, CSU Dominguez Hill allows, like, if you mentioned that maybe you take a couple of days off just to like, recuperate or just gather some things back up, are they, like, very flexible with that or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. I think we're all aware that we work in a, a field where we have uh, difficult and sensitive conversations every day. Um, and sometimes they're very uncomfortable, but as investigators, you know, we have to go into that room and be very unbiased and collect information. And some of it is about really, really sensitive, intimate details. Um, and that can be really taxing for someone. And also just the volume of cases that we have sometimes is so overwhelming because usually Title IX offices are, are somewhat under-resourced. They don't have, you know, 10 staff working there um, unless they're very lucky. But I know for me in my office, it's, it's just three of us. We have a Title IX officer, me, the investigator, and then we have a compliance coordinator that helps us out with our trainings. Um, and so over time, I think, yeah, you, you need to take some time off. You need to take a break. You need to breathe some fresh air. Um, and I feel that the CSU system in general is very understanding and supportive of that. Um, so things like taking a mental health day, um, that's something that my colleagues and I talk about. And it's okay to do that. And there's no shame associated with it. So I, I definitely think that that that's um, an advantage of, of working where I, I work in a CSU system where at the same time that we're advocating for students mental emotional and um, physical health we're advocating for our own health as well and sometimes that means taking a self-care day or a mental health day yeah let's first touch on like you mentioned self-care before and taking mental health days uh, what are some like self-care routines that you would that you suggest or that you do to unwind yeah I mean honestly they change all the time and especially in um, this day and age where we're adjusting to this new normal of quarantine and stay-at-home orders um, i think that you just have to do what feels right um, so for me i've got a whole toolbox of self-care items i would say my favorite ones right now are um, going for a bike ride i really like that i live in a coastal area um, and so i'm able to ride my bike by the beach and, and that's really relaxing and it allows me to get some movement in my body um, I really enjoy cooking. That's a form of self-care self for me. And so um, I've been picking up new recipes and challenging myself to make all of the yummy things that I would otherwise be eating in restaurants right now. <laughs> um, what else? And sleep, honestly, just sleeping as much as I can, um, getting a restful night's sleep. And um, yeah, yeah that's nothing like bringing you into the present, like doing 30 burpees. Trust me, on that 30th burpee, you're not going to be thinking about anything else but getting through <laughs> that exercise. So I, I completely agree. And people say like once you wake up you should just drop down and do like 10 15 push-ups every morning and that will instantly wake you up and just doing something like that just changes the way you do things just makes life a lot easier yeah. it seems difficult to begin with but in the long run it's, it's beneficial <laughs> yeah all those people are, are way better than i am right now um but more power to you for getting up and doing your 10 push-ups maybe maybe i'll give it a try tomorrow morning i'll report back and tell you how i feel <laughs> <laughs> So to end it off, uh, I would like to know some bits of advice since you do work a lot in higher education and since you spent a lot of time in university as a student, you kind of 
have seen both sides of the coin where mm -hmm. you can see how students uh, maybe react during finals time like we're going through right now or maybe as a student understanding the struggles that we go through so is there any bits of advice that you you've seen from your end that you hope more students would know i think kind of on the same topic of self-care um i I want to give advice to all students to take care of themselves right now, whatever that means to them. <clears throat> um, because I think that uh, this is a very difficult and unique time. And when you add uh, the stress of finals um, or whatever else you have going on in your life personally, I think that that can really wear you down. And so I think that's my encouragement, my piece of, of advice for students right now. But in terms of some more general advice, I think that it's important to, as, as you're navigating new situations, and maybe you're coming into opportunities that um, you've never experienced before, and uh, maybe you're in a position where there's no precedent for what's been done in the past, um, and there's little resources. Um, I think that being confident in, in who you are and what you know and what it's taken to get you to that point could be an important piece. Um, but also not being afraid to educate yourself on the pieces that maybe you're not so confident about or you need a little bit more competency in. And just trust the process of learning and growing and developing that it will eventually become part of your story and take you to uh, different parts of your life that you're later going to look back on and be so grateful for. That's my advice. So it's a lot of just focusing on yourself and making sure you're like the best possible version of yourself that you can be. Yeah, I think that there's an internal process of, of seeing what you're passionate about and um, what works for you before you can go out and serve others in the best capacity possible. So I definitely think that that's an important piece. It was so great to have you and just get that information. Because like, I think you're the alumni who's been the longest in school, like with all your bachelor's and then your master's and your community college experience. So it's just kind of interesting just to see your process of doing all of that. And that's, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you, thank you so much. I, I feel very proud that I work in the CSU system, that I spent so many years there as a student and now I'm giving back as a professional. So it's, it's really good to be part of this network. Yeah, again, thank you so much for joining. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for chatting with me. I hope you have a good day and you take care of yourself and you stay healthy. All right, right, will do, you too, thanks. <laughs> See ya.